everyone and welcome. My name is Rachel. And I'm Andrew. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast, brought to you by Aura Studios. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. We bring new episodes on a weekly basis, and Andrew mainly focuses on the lesser-known crimes from the UK and Ireland. And from time to time, I take on the bigger, well-known cases. As we are a true crime podcast, listener caution is advised. Today I'll be bringing you the second part to last week's episode. So thanks to those who listened, and those who haven't, well, you might want to skip back and listen to Season 2, Episode 18, entitled Reasonable Doubt, Part 1. Otherwise, today really won't make much sense. Probably not, no. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer, along with wherever you listen. And if you have the capability, why not give us a rating and review as well? These rating and Ratings and reviews honestly mean so much to us because, yeah, we love hearing from you. We love knowing what you love about the show. And we even love hearing from those that aren't perhaps big fans of the show because they actually give us, you know, ideas that will help us develop and get better, hey? Do you know when you find, like, an old coat or a hoodie or something that you've not worn in months? Yeah. And you put your hand in your pocket. And you find like a 10 euro note or 10 pound note or something. Best feeling ever. So getting a review or feedback feels better than that, people. There you go, guys. What more could you want to tempt you to leave us a review? And if you like us that much, do you want to support us? You can do so for less than the cost of a small Americano on Patreon. We release bonus content every month and we love hearing from our listeners on Patreon who are giving us um, recommendations now for, for scripts. So yeah, if you if you get involved and sponsor us, uh, you could be listening to a show based on um, you know a case that you want us to cover. And finally for now, the links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or by visiting patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-c-e-n-e-p-o-d and that is the end of our official broadcasting it is indeed and just for those people out there we tend to cover on our patreon episodes cases that i wouldn't we wouldn't normally cover on a normal one don't we so we go a little bit sometimes more in depth or we we talk about law a little bit more or maybe cases which are a little bit too controversial to cover on our normal feed so if that interests you then give it a go even if it's just for one month hear what we've got what's a pound for a month absolutely and listen guys we're just going to quickly recap on the episode from last week um so we took you through the day of the crime and we fast forwarded you to a shocking revelation just a few days later from both the book and it was a shocking revelation both the police and the public only one month after our victim Lacey peterson went missing Today's episode, we're going to be covering um, some of the coverage from the media and the run-up to the trial and and that that happened during the case. But I just wanted to highlight, you'll have probably listened to this case in other formats from other great, amazing podcasters um, in the past. And you'll have also seen documentaries on television because it is a well-documented case. It's 21 years old. Um, and I just wanted to highlight that what we are covering today does not touch on some of the key evidence that was um, submitted during the trial because, you know, it's not for me to um, kind of highlight today 
what I really wanted to highlight, particularly in this case, was the insane response to some lies that were told and some audacious, um, audacious um, sensationalized headlines that were reported on the perpetrator and uh, you know the family in the run-up to the trial. Um, so yeah, I just kind of wanted to call it out, Andrew, hopefully that makes sense. Uh, you know, it was uh, a 21 week trial, so five months, there was a lot of content in there and I'm not disputing any of that, but more wanted to bring you some of the, um, the stuff that perhaps hasn't been covered by other shows and almost a different slant on the case. Yep. Sounds, sounds, makes sense. Okay. Before, before we get into it then, Andrew, I just want to double check. How are you doing? You know what? I'm doing better than um, a chicken at Christmas. I reckon chickens at Christmas are pretty happy because turkeys are getting all the limelight. Exactly. Yeah, and you're doing even better than that, hey? Yes, exactly. There we go. Uh, I, I wasn't think... expecting that, guys. <laughs> okay, so if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you all to sit back, relax, and picture the scene. It's late afternoon on the 13th of April, 2003, 4.45 to be precise, and the storm that has hung over the San Francisco Bay Area for the last two days has finally cleared. Temperatures recorded that afternoon were 56 degrees Fahrenheit, just over 13 degrees Celsius, and the wind was mild for the Bay Area. A dog walker is heading along the Richmond Marina Bay when he comes across the body of a full-term male infant, umbilical cord still attached, resting on the shoreline. A mere 19 hours later, on a bright, sunny Monday morning at 11.45, Contra Costa police received a call that a dismembered female body had been found lodged in concrete riprap at Point Isabel, a popular dog walking park in the Bay Area. The partial remains, a torso and a leg, were discovered less than a mile from the fetus the day earlier, just across the Richmond Inner Harbour. Following the discoveries in the Bay, Scott Peterson was placed under 24-hour surveillance whilst police awaited the news on the identity of the victims. In reality, they were just counting down the hours until they could finally make their arrest. The district attorney had made it very clear in earlier months that no bodies meant no case for trial. Fast forward four days and it's the morning of the 18th of April. It's Good Friday and Scott has made plans to meet his dad, Lee, and brother Joe at the Torrey Pines golf course that morning. Lee would later go on to testify that he was looking forward to getting the three of his boys together to play golf and just look for some normalcy in their lives. Get together, be together, and enjoy each other's company. However, as Scott left his sister Susan's house for the trip at around 7am, he noticed he was being followed. As he neared his destination at Torrey Pines, he had second thoughts and immediately called his brother Joe to advise he wasn't going to make it. Mostly fearing it wouldn't look good to the press if he were seen to be enjoying family time whilst the rest of the world awaited the autopsy results of the bodies in the bay. Scott instead took a drive north in what would turn out to be a four-hour loop, that's over 160 miles he drove, where he claims to have been followed by nine different vehicles as he made his way through Orange County and back down to San Diego. This drive south, even though he claims he was returning to meet his father and brothers at Torrey Pines, was alarming to the surveillance cars following Scott. And what was the issue? Well, San Diego is 20 miles from the Mexican border. So regardless of where Scott was actually heading, police were convinced he was about to make a break for it, and they couldn't risk him leaving the US. And so at 11.12am on the 18th of April, police finally closed in on Scott Peterson, and made their arrest. 
At the time of his arrest, a number of questionable items were found in Scott's vehicle. These included four cell phones, a driver's license belonging to his brother John, $14,400 in cash, camping and stove equipment, a picture of Lacey and a letter from Amber he had received just two months previously. Police believe this, coupled with the fact that he had very recently grown a goatee and bleached his hair blonde, was a clear sign that he was attempting to flee the country, and therefore a clear sign of his guilt. Just three days later on Easter Monday, the 21st of April, Scott was arraigned in court, charged with committing one count of felony murder of Lacey Denise Peterson, noting that he had acted intentionally, deliberately and with premeditation. Scott was also, unsurprisingly, charged with the second count of felony murder of baby Connor Peterson, a fetus. In the state of California, when someone is charged with more than one murder, either in the first or the second degree, the case qualifies for the death penalty. And we all know what we think about the death penalty on this show, Andrew. We do, yes. We do not agree with it. But no, we do not. This case did automatically qualify for it, and therefore it would be held. There would be a penalty case following the main case that will go to trial. I'm surprised that now the majority, not the majority, but We've been listening to in every state in America. Do you know that, Rachel? Wow. But California is the one we get the most downloads from. So I'm not. Big up our California listeners. Yeah. So I'm not meaning to offend anyone here, but California always gets the news, especially over here in Europe anyway, that it's one of the more liberal states in America. Mm. So I'm surprised that they have the death penalty. Well, interestingly, I will go on to explain in a little bit um, that whilst, yes, still. That is something on the record. Um, they've taken a, a very um, interesting approach to the death penalty in recent years, but I'll touch on that a bit later. Okay. I wait a bated breath. Yeah. Now, obviously, we left at the height of the last episode, we left the Amber Freight discovery, right? And um, we knew that Scott had met Amber five weeks before Lacey disappeared. And he'd explained to Amber that he was recently widowed and, you know, he was going to be experiencing his first Christmas without his wife. And all of this was kind of um, played out before Scott was a suspect in the case of his missing wife, because his wife was still very much alive. Um, but in, 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 the, in the weeks after Amber Frey came forward, they had secretly recorded her conversations with Scott. There had always been a detective present with Amber on those phone calls. And she had tried to pry that information back out of Scott on a recorded line, which she had done successfully. The only issue that does not play out in Scott's defense is that she was doing this whilst his wife was in the throes of like being missing. And the, essentially the nation was hunting for her, right? And keeping up to date on on news articles on 24-hour news and, and you know, with, with the news reporters. Now, this is why Scott had stayed out of the reporting spotlight, the media spotlight. He, I don't know whether you recall, Andrew, but he declined to attend press conferences. He wasn't yeah. really the face of the campaign of his missing wife. And police had kind of thought that that was a bit sketchy behaviour. Now, he was obviously did not realise that Amber knew who he was. And eventually... Um, he he was he was calling her during a candlelit vigil um, 
for Lacey that was held in the in the new year and you know he was calling her telling her that he was traveling away with work and it was really difficult to speak but that you know he loved her and he was looking forward to spending time with her but put that into context he's actually with Lacey's family and friends mourning you know his missing wife that's not playing out very well right that doesn't sound great no to be fair Mm -hmm. I mean when you're if you're leading a double life you're leading a double life aren't you so but it's and, not, that's not great though, no. And at, the, at this point, you know, he does come clean to Amber because she does continuously challenge his, you know, where are you today and what are you doing? And I guess the detectives that were kind of sat on her shoulder yeah. were encouraging her to pry, you know, what lies yeah. is he going to come up with today? He's going he's gonna to get himself caught in search of whatever lies that will we'll be able to crack this case, right? Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, she pried a lot and he eventually came clean. And he said, yeah, my wife is missing. I love her. I miss her. I want her back. And he played along. And and Amber, as you can imagine, just went a bit nuts. But he still stayed in touch with her. She still kept on answering his calls. And they still kept communicating in the hope that he would lead police to some sort of confession. Uh, You know, Amber would lure him into that false sense of security where he was like, oh, maybe if I tell her, then, you know, she'll help me kind of get out of this hole. But that never came to light. And a lot of um, the articles that were reported at the time on Scott Peterson and his affair with Amber Frey were that he wanted Lacey out of the picture so that he could live this life with Amber that he'd always longed for, you know. Um, And that just never really came about in these very intimate personal conversations he was having with Amber. Yeah, He, He never once said... God, I wish I'd have met you before I met my wife. Like, you know, you are the one I've always wanted. He was almost, because he was living this double life, he was almost disputing with himself, like his feelings for Amber and his feelings for his wife. And I personally feel like it might have been a really unfortunate comment to your point in the last episode that he made that flippant comment about, you know, I'm widow. This will be my first Christmas without my wife. Well, it stops it, asking questions, doesn't it? It stops. Like, if you say to someone, oh, I'm a recent widow, it's going to take someone very heartless or insensitive to stop prying and asking questions about your wife. Yeah. It, it cuts that off. If you say, oh, I'm divorced or I'm recently separated, then they're going to ask questions. Where's your wife live? Yeah. Like, will she come back on the scene? Will you yeah. see her? Not, but yeah, so. No, you're absolutely right. I just felt it was important to kind of highlight a lot of that and, you know, I'm I'm not saying that he's innocent, but I'm also not saying that he's guilty because of that. Um, yeah. Now I know we also mentioned last week, but once again, I feel the need to call out that Scott P- Peterson's behaviour following his wife's disappearance was, most would say, very unusual. It's definitely not what you would expect a grieving husband and father to be. But only a matter of days after Lucy made headlines across the US and the rest of the world, all eyes were firmly fixed on him and there seemed to be no escape in the idea that he had been the one to take the life of his wife and unborn child. I just think, and again, I don't know the case, I don't know the outcome, but sometimes I think some people, especially in the diehard true crime fans, they can't differentiate between a bad person who's innocent, like it's a horrible person, can still be innocent, just because someone's horrible and does horrible things doesn't automatically 
mean guilty on the crime that you're talking about. You're absolutely right. And everyone can put their own slant on their opinion, right? Like news outlets, papers, the news channels are not silenced when they're reporting, you know, from unconfirmed sources. They can say whatever they want. Yeah. And ultimately, I do believe that the world was watching Scott and believing he was guilty because of the crazy amount of media coverage that happened on the hunt for Lacey. And it was actually the dawn of the 24-hour like news reporting right. back in 2002. So these news channels were kind of like dabbling in, in this, you know, con- continuous cycle of reporting. Um, this case would actually be on court television as well. Don't know whether you know much about court TV in America, but I've always wanted to watch it, but I've never obviously been able to watch it. But yeah, I've always I'm intrigued to know what it's like. You'd want to you'd want to get into the start of a really meaty case, wouldn't you? But then, how much time would you have to take off work to (laughs) squeeze it all in? Um, But yeah, like, and if we just like reflect as well, Lacey. As we kind of touched on the first episode, she was your all-American kind of girl, and she was the perfect poster girl for these round-the-clock news updates because it was really tragic. Always wanted to be pregnant, was about to experience her first Christmas, family around her, and the hopes and dreams of her future, and, you know, murdered by her husband. It was just, like, so sensational. But the problem was, yeah, we've got the 24-hour news channels wanting to report updates, but the case wasn't moving fast enough. And given the lack of leads that were going into detectives, the local authorities, the general public and the media outlets have started printing and reporting some really wild headlines. So they were, um, you know, for context listeners, we pre-record the shows. And just last night, it was confirmed that the body of Nicola Bully was found in the River Wire. But over the last three weeks, we have seen in the UK, the media and the general public and the TikTok generation go absolutely wild in speculation on family members. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna draw attention to any of the particular comments and claims that were made. Even that it it led the police to disclose an unnecessary amount of personal information about the case of this missing person in the UK, which and was just so unfair and unnecessary. It's unfair and unnecessary and like this case, I mean, you saw it, you've seen it a few times recently. New Gary Petito and um, the other one recently that, that, that escapes my mind, the name escapes my head, but it's just macabre. And it's, it's situations like this that make me want to not be interested in true crime anymore because it's just people, yeah, it's like an obsession. And it's there's nothing wrong with an individual having an opinion, but. I mean, some people create content. Again, I'm not highlighting anyone in particular here, but I have lost respect and I most definitely won't be paying attention to the content they create in the future because of how I see them react to this type of case. Mm-hmm. It really is. It, it it upsets me and it, it loses my hope in humanity a little bit. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more and I wouldn't add anything else to that, Andrea. It's really disappointing. Okay, so back to 2003. And at one stage, one of the headlines reported was that Scott could indeed be a serial killer as a girl who had attended the same university as him had gone missing in 1996 and was never found. Well, but it must, since... be, must be him then, eh? Oh, yeah, must be. And this, this you know, university that they attended where thousands 
of people go in the state of California. Um, you know, it's clearly Scott Peterson, um, who had absolutely no connection to her whatsoever. But th- there was no, there was never any rebuttal to that. There was never, um, is that the right word, rebuttal? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it just really winds me up because the person that was responsible for that case has since gone on only in recent years because of a epic podcast been been uh, charged and found guilty of that woman's murder and it really winds me up because people remember what they read and they tar the brush with that person and think oh yeah but uh lacy wasn't his first rodeo and it's like no that was a complete lie that that press outlet had absolutely no right to report that but they did anyway is it your own backyard? That you- yes, yes. And I fully recommend everyone goes and takes a listen. Um, it's a limited series um, podcast, absolutely brilliantly written, uh, produced and um, delivered. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah, Rachel uh, recommended it to me and I, I loved it. Still one episode left to come. Oh. Because they um, haven't made it yet, have they? But, um... Yeah, no, absolutely. But this is the thing, like back in 2002, it was like a sensational headline for Scott and people didn't forget things like that, you know. Um, and actually, I, I've never heard of this before, Andrew and US listeners. And in fact, any listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but Scott Peterson's alibi was reported at one of the early police press conferences. Police themselves stating they would like anyone to come forward and validate Scott Peterson's whereabouts which they then gave the nation on the pre- on the morning of the 24th of December. I, like, I don't think that's normal, is it? It doesn't feel like it to me. They, they said, you know, if you were at Berkeley Marina at this time and you saw him with a boat, if you saw this truck on this highway at this time, like, they it gave his truck po- his licence plate. It would just be false positives, won't it? Or false negatives. 100%. Like I, I understand the police have to verify alibis, but they ask the um the the person that's been charged, you know, you come forward with people that can help yeah, validate well, you were go do their own their own investigation by going out and speaking to like the harbour master or whatever, but not hundred oh, percent. Uh, a local news anchor would later confirm that she had a direct line into one of the investigating officers throughout the investigation and that he was leaking potential leads and inquiries to her. And she would then be able to report the information exclusively on the local news channel from anonymous sources. Sounds like um, a bad TV show. Though. I know, I know. And that that same news anchor was given tips to be certain places where Scott was about to appear. Um, she turned up when they discovered the bodies in the bay. She turned up when wow. they were removed and put into the back of the vehicles for, you know, to head off to autopsy. It's just really bad, like what happens there and of course like when you're when you're on such a high profile case as this um how is it right that officers are able to leak information to the press how are they not like um under like absolutely no commenting no conversations like almost being monitored themselves by like internal audit maybe um who are who are looking and minding what they're how they're behaving and how, how seriously they're taking the case as well there were a number of incorrect facts that were reported to media outlets during the hunt for Lacey, including what she was wearing when she went missing and also how uncooperative scott had been with the investigators in the early days like if we flip back to that original police statement with officer evers in episode one um but by the time this case had gone to trial and the truth came out 
it was just too late. The public had already made up their minds about Scott Peterson. So as you can imagine, it was very clear from the early stages in the police investigation that Scott was the prime suspect. There was something preventing this case from being very open and shut. There was zero evidence. Because they believed there to be no other suspect involved in this case, police did not follow up on the 21 sightings of Lacey Peterson once Scott had left their home on the morning of the 24th. Nor did they follow up on several tips to the missing persons hotline, which were shared by volunteers to the police between the 25th of December right through to the 25th of January when the hotline closed following Amber Frey's press conference. Again, it's something that doesn't sit quite right with me because... Surely in the process of wanting to nail a conviction, you follow up on all leads, ensure that it's open and shut for the prosecution, and there's absolutely no grey area where you could have missed some vital evidence that could have either given you the smoking gun or found him to be innocent and then gone on to find the actual guilty person or it people. Just, it just seems odd, though. I know I feel like I'm going down the line of saying, thinking, oh, he's definitely innocent, and I don't think that, but... It seems odd that at this point she was still missing. They had nobody and they didn't know where she was. They didn't even know she could have still been alive. Mm-hmm. So why not follow up on everything anyway, just to see if yeah. you can find her? Yeah. And when they did speak to people in the harbour that saw Scott out on that boat that morning, because there were a number of people that came forward and said, yeah, saw Scott that morning. Just for context, his boat was really shallow. They actually did some tests that were omitted from trial because they didn't use the right weightings of people in the boat in the bay that day. Um, but they, the boat was really shallow. And the way Scott had to pass these other boats to leave the harbour, they could see fully into his boat. There was no walls. There, were, there, was, there were no areas that could hide even the size of a bucket, let alone a 33-week pregnant woman in tarpaulin that they claim that she was wrapped in. Um, So, you know, there's just this element of, like, there's no eyewitness accounts. There's no solid evidence. You don't have any of that. So why aren't you following up on those tips? Because they could bring you that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Where was I? Another interesting fact to call out is that during the initial investigation into Scott, Modesto police claimed that Scott had lied about what he and Lacey were doing on Christmas Eve morning. Do you remember I had explained that Martha Stewart was in the segment on national television yeah. whisking up meringues, right? This false claim, so they claimed, the Modesto police claimed that Martha Stewart was on television the day before, okay. and it played into the theory that Scott murdered Lacey on the 23rd, right? right That's what okay. that, was, that was what pinned their whole case on Scott. Everything that, hap- that he said happened, happened the day before, right? But... He, Modesto police were allowed, were issued a warrant for a wiretap on his phone and a GPS tracker on his car because they claimed Martha Stewart appeared on national TV on the 23rd of December. That was never verified or validated, but it was later testified in court that Martha Stewart's meringue segment was in fact on the 24th of December at 9.48 in the morning, exactly as it happened to be. So you know, again, more evidence that the police were so half-arsed in creating the case for the prosecution. The prosecution opened up their, the trial stating that Scott Peterson had killed Lacey Peterson on the 23rd of December because that's when Martha Stewart was on television. Right, okay. Jury selection for this case took nearly three months because of the amount of press coverage and media reporting that had been um, kind of having it in the spotlight. 
And it was agreed early on that jurors would not be sequestered. So just for the purpose of listeners that might not realise, that means that jurors are able to return to their homes every night after court. And although it is forbidden, in theory, they are able to chat about the case to like loved ones and search the internet or anything else. Like They're not monitored at all. If you're a sequestered jury, you're held up in a hotel with limited access to like the internet and other people, basically, other than jurors. I feel this was a majorly wrong decision for such a high profile case. And, um, you know, again, in order to make sure the integrity of the trial remained accurate and, and, and good, it should have been very different. Um, and then you wouldn't be sat here, you know, 21 years later questioning the trial um, because they'd have, you know, managed it in in a much better way. Um, although I do also appreciate um, that jurors would have been away from their families for over five months, but it is a death penalty case, so it needs to be taken as seriously, about as seriously as they come. It was also agreed by the courts to move the murder trial from Modesto, the hometown of Lacey Peterson, and where the crime was alleged to have taken place, to Mateo, San Mateo County, which was just over 85 miles away. But it's still in California, so arguably not far enough away for a fair jury and a trial to proceed. I don't know what you think about that. 85 miles is nothing these days, is it? Not not in America. Yeah. Like, yeah, and it's still the case. It's still in California, which is like, you know, actively anticipating, you know, this trial. So the trial began on the 1st of June 2004 and the court was packed with spectators and media every single day with hundreds more gathering outside the building. As I mentioned earlier, the trial lasted a total of 21 weeks and the jury of six men and six women heard from 184 witnesses. They listened to hours of recorded telephone conversations and reviewed hundreds upon hundreds of photographs and other items entered into evidence. Despite the defence arguing against all the circumstantial evidence brought forward to the jury, because there was no direct evidence whatsoever, so that means that there were no eyewitness testimonies, no physical evidence at the Peterson household or Scott's place of work, no admissions of guilt and no documentation, and the fact that Scott had indeed prepared for life with Lacey and baby Connor by arranging life insurance for the new family, setting up the nursery, he paid some bills, like hospital bills, ahead of Lacey giving birth, He'd made plans, and in fact, he'd made plans with Amber Frey on Connor's due date. It was the same day, the 10th of February. Like, why would he have bothered? Uh, and he, by the way, he told Lacey, because Lacey went on to tell her own mother, that he wouldn't be here for the 10th of February. So if you were going to, in premeditation, take your unborn child and wife's life, why would you have broken their hearts? Because Lacey was apparently inconsolable at the time because well, of that. You, you would be, would you? I, I don't know. It seems odd. Yeah. And he was planning for holidays and, and all of that kind of stuff. But it took the ju- final jury just seven hours to arrive at the guilty verdict of murder in the first degree on both accounts. Now, I specifically mentioned the words final jury, as in the two weeks prior, the original jury had dismissed two jurors on two separate occasions after deliberating for more than 30 hours on the case. Wow. So, like, and I don't know how you feel about this, but how can two new jurors come in and then land upon a guilty sentence so quickly is beyond me. I mean, it's it's not unusual. I've seen it before, but, yeah, you always, you always have to wonder, don't you? Yeah, it almost just feels a little bit too the other way. It's gone too quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so on the 12th of November 2004, Scott Peterson was convicted of murdering his wife and unborn child. 18 days later, the penalty phase of the trial took place. 
taking just 11 hours for the same 12 jurors to reach a decision and sentence Scott to the death penalty. A sentence which the judge upheld and set upon him on the 16th of March 2005, nearly two years after the discoveries of the bodies in the bay. Now at the time, there were audible gasps in the uh, courtroom. Um, The judge himself was surprised at the verdict because, you know, not only murder in the first degree, because let's be honest, the uh, defence had set a fair amount of unreasonable doubt and in the court in the courts in America, you don't have to prove their innocence when you're defending. Yeah. You just have to prove that there is a level of, you know, doubt in the prosecution's um case to um to allow your um defense to to you know to get off. Um so not only that, but he was then sentenced to death. And he was sent to San Quentin State Prison. Um and their death row where he would spend the next 20 years of his life whilst his team appealed the conviction. Wow. Now, once again, I may run the risk of upsetting some listeners, but I do not condone the death penalty, and I really don't believe in the whole eye for an eye um, way. So regardless of how I feel towards Scott Peterson in terms of his guilt or his innocence, I'm very happy to report that his death sentence was, in fact, overturned. Now, strangely enough, this was initially absolutely nothing to do with his appeal. So in March 2019, California State Governor Gavin Newsom issued an immediate freeze on all 737 pending executions for prisoners sitting on death row in the state of California, including Peterson. 737. Absolutely. The freeze will remain in place throughout the duration of Newsom's tenure as California governor. And it temporarily relieves all 737 prisoners awaiting execution in the state of California. And just for context, about eight of those prisoners had exhausted all other challenges and um, appeals. So they were literally waiting for their date of execution. But it could still happen after the governor leaves. Yeah, it could, but they have dismantled all the execution chambers in San Quentin State Prison. And they have also not put a prisoner to death since 2006 in the state of California. So I think you might argue that it's, you know, regardless of, of somebody coming in, it would be hard work to set that and facilitate that once again after they've come so far in so many years. However, it's not all positive for Scott's team. His appeal, whilst his appeals have been successful and his death penalty ruling has been fully overturned since then, due to discrepancies with both the judge and jury rulings in the case in 2002, Scott has now had his sentence changed to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And in December 2022, he was moved from death row to Mule Creek State Prison in Aoni, I think I pronounce it. Um, so that's still in the state of California. However, as I just touched on um, a moment ago, it's not all rosy because despite additional appeals from his defense for a brand new trial, given the claims that individual jurors had in fact tainted the jury pool with their own beliefs back in 2002, the requests have so far been rejected and Peterson has been denied a new trial as of December 2022. Although he still has the right to appeal this ruling and you may well see more coverage on the case in coming years. It's so hard both in the States and in Europe, well, in the UK anyway, I don't know about mainland European countries, 
to get like just to the appeal stage and then to have it overturned, it is so so difficult. Um, I, I think we are getting more sight of that through Netflix documentaries, aren't we? And yeah. you know, through um, people following more interestingly on the, I guess, on the positive side of true crime reporting, people following so avidly some of these really high profile cases that need to be like reviewed, and um, the likes of Adnan Said, where um, podcast serial were very successful in kind of raising the profile of that particular case and and it being re-reviewed which i feel like against the point that you made earlier about you know losing faith in humanity when people are using their platforms for such horrible like causes and and being so like unprofessional as well it's actually good to see the other side of it when things like that come to light almost definitely but back to scott i honestly don't know what to think i mean he's been found guilty by a jury of his peers. So I'm always harking on about the rule of law. So he is guilty at this moment in time. And I haven't seen all the evidence, heard all the evidence. Um, it sounds to me like there was major flaws. And the problem is sometimes guilty people get set free on technicalities as well because there's been a shoddy investigation or not the right procedures or uh, follows. So if he does get released in the future and he's guilty, he's got away with it. But he could also never get released and not be guilty. It's um Which is why I don't believe in the death penalty. Yes. And especially in this case. I'm really surprised the judge didn't overrule it because there were so many holes in the prosecution's case. Yeah, but at the same time, you do not want to show that you've lost faith in the, you know, the the jury process and the selection and their um you know decisions as well they're never going to be a perfect system we just always have to strive to get the best imperfect system that we can we can have which is why there's always going to be mistakes which is why there needs to be a very clear and easy to follow path for things such as appeals and 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 that, which at the moment in Western countries, I'm thinking about the UK and US in particular, sometimes that path is not always clear because it's it's set in stone a little bit where you've been found guilty. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a difficult one. But um, I, I, the case, thank you for the case. I'm going to have to go and do some investigation because I don't want to sit here thinking he's definitely innocent or he's definitely guilty because you've managed to whet my appetite. So I need to go and fully quench it now and and see what I can find to see if he's I think he's guilty or different. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some great documentaries on um Sky Crime and Investigation around this case. Um and they are looking at interviews from both the police and the media and the family um of Scott Peterson and Lacey Peterson. So quite interesting and and as balanced as documentaries like that come. Um, but listen, I've omitted sentencing remarks and family impact statements from today's episode as, <laughs> to be quite honest, I'm not sure what side of the fence I sit on now. I'm not sure he was given a fair investigation or a fair trial. Um, and that counts for the family being given a fair investigation and a fair trial too um, on both sides. That's not to say I do not believe that he was responsible. You know, I will leave it to our listeners to determine his guilt or his innocence. Let us know your opinions on our social medias or by direct message. And so for one last time, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, to close your eyes and picture the scene. A seemingly happy family to be, but the husband is found to be leading a double life. 
Does that make him a monster? Guilty of murder? Scott Peterson, innocent or guilty? Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you.